Bohemian. And you're listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And it's time right now for the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. Yes, it's the Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show, where I, Nardwar to Human Serviette, do a dumb, stupid radio show where I interview people, where I play music on the Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show, and also where I provide a forum, hopefully, for you to listen and see and think to yourself, hmm, if he can do a radio show, I can do a radio show too. Therefore, it's really inspiring to get feedback. Every DJ says, I don't really like feedback. I just do it because I love it. Well, deep down, we all love getting feedback. For me, it's particularly amazing when the feedback comes in an oral capacity. And it came right towards me big time at South by Southwest this past year in Austin, Texas. I had just finished doing an interview with Action Bronson, the rapper from Queens, and I was walking throughout the South by Southwest Convention Center. I was approached by a gentleman named Brother Ali, and he asked if I would do an interview with him. I said, I can't believe you know who I am. He said, I'd love to do an interview with you one day. A couple months later, Brother Ali came to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and I did an interview with Brother Ali. Amazing! After the interview, Brother Ali contacted me to tell me that he had actually taken some of the records that I had given him and turn them into a song. I couldn't believe this. Somebody was actually listening to me, or not necessarily listening to me, but actually using the gifts that I had given him in an interview. And I was just totally floored by this. And I later found out, in fact, uh, maybe just yesterday, <laughs> that Brother Ali had written an entire song all about me, Nardwar to Human Serviette, and the encounter that we had. If you want to hear the interview that you did, me, well, you, because you helped me, you listeners, you can check out nardwar.com. And for all you podcast listeners at CITR here, we've had a slowdown of some of the podcasts because they were broken, but now they're going to start up again. So if you've been missing the podcast, we're going to keep them going but you can check them out the ones you missed at nardwar.com including the interview i did with brother ali brother ali again as i mentioned put together this song and i'm just totally blown away so today on the nardwar to human serviette radio show gonna begin with a song called nardwar by brother ali and also on the nardwar to human serviette radio show phoning in in about half an hour will be director kevin smith who's in Halifax this weekend, Halifax, Canada, and he's phoning into the Nardwar, the Human Serviette radio show. So Brother Ali and Kevin Smith on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette radio show. So here is said song, Nardwar, by Brother Ali. I was so turned up off the interview I did with Nardwar. I took the records home that he gave me and made a beat out of it. Matter of fact, made a whole song. Check it out. Who are you? I'm Brother Ali, sir. Brother Ali, welcome to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Thank you. I've been waiting all my life to hear that, man. They say, baby, you're not a star. You're too underground and too avant-garde. Can't nobody tell you how hot you are when you're chilling with motherfucking Nardwar. Brother Ali! I 
I've been around the world a couple times. TSA know my name and then they cut the line. I'm tired of the scanner. Could you please keep the back of your hand off my groin and my butt this time? My cell phone full of heroes. Underground rappers, activists, and weirdos. Chuck T, Cornell West, and Mortal Tech. I got loop bass joint, but I ain't flown them yet. Let me tell you what my game about. Ten years and my flame never faded out. Ah, and I ain't have to go the major route. I dropped six joints, they all sold the same amount. Oh seven, I was Billboard six nine. Same sales, but I'm four four this time. So while the whole industry in a decline, I ain't have to dick ride. I'm still sitting just fine. Oh my God. They say, baby, you're not a star. You're too underground and too avant-garde. Can't nobody tell you how hot you are When you're chillin' with motherfuckin' Nardwar I'm on tour again, hoppin' out the Sprinter van I'm arrivin' early just to kick it with the fans Hit the base, see the Muslims and visit in I got a lot of fam, that's my man 50 grand Love the road, but I must admit I miss the fam Hit the Minneapolis and just had to kiss the sand Rock to Minneapolis Breakfast to Victor's and Brasserotisserie be the dinner plan Australia, my toes all in the sand SPF 50, man, albinos never get a tan Hit the bed head, spin like a ceiling fan I calm down off need of Simone Cinnamon Got my lady with me, trying to be a different man The ice blue ocean water got it in a trance About to get in that, none of y'all business I took a glance in the mirror and I did my dance Shit. They say, baby, you're not a star You're too underground and too avant-garde can't nobody tell you how hot you are When you're chillin' with motherfuckin' Nardwar Went from trashy to hashtag team classy My most lucrative years, I was the least happy Our first tour, me and BK were coming up We had to sleep on the floor and split a hundred bucks Every audience we saw tried to fund on us Had to shut them all up and it was fun as fuck Nowadays it's like shopping with the trendy team I'm trying to find a happy medium is what I mean No longer holler at me Protests and arrests all in my rap sheet Homeland security file is my Grammy oh my Beautiful women always been attracted to them Off the fact the music matters to them So when they lift their shirt over they ribs It's not to show me they tears They took a quote that I spit and got it tatted to That's them That's an amazing fan They yeah. say baby you're not a star You're too underground and too avant-garde Can't nobody tell you how hot you are when you're chillin' with motherfuckin' Nardwar They say, baby, you're not a star You're too underground and too avant-garde Can't nobody tell you how hot you are When you're chillin' with motherfuckin' Nardwar Brother Ali, have you bought your horse yet? I haven't bought a horse <laughs> I haven't bought a horse, but I love, I love horses Why should people care about Brother Ali? Why should people care? Oh, <laughs> yeah So there you have it, Brother Ali with the song Nardwar, all about an interview Brother Ali had with me, Nardwar to Human Serviette. You can check out that interview on YouTube by typing in Nardwar, Brother Ali, or you can go to nardwar.com and hear the full unedited version of the interview. And what's so amazing about that track is Brother Ali used little snippets from the unedited version of the interview that was posted on my radio show. Again, you can check it out at nardwar.com and click under 
radio interviews. Thank you so much, Brother Ali. That was just such an honor for you to have to compose that entire song all about me and the encounter we had and the records that you used on there were records that I presented to you during the interview. Plus, thank you, Brother Ali, for turning me on to the reminders. Not only did you give me a song, you gave me the reminders from Colorado. You introduced me to them and their great music, like Tyson. So thank you, Brother Ali. Thank you, too. If I could sing a song for you, I would sing a song for you. If I could write a poem for you, I could write a poem for you. But my thing is words, 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 words. And the danger is you might even listen to them. In fact, what I've said has been said before. I said it right off the outpost, right at the, right at the out front of this interview, this encounter on Nardwar Human Service Radio Show. Thank you again, Brother Ali, for Brother Ali Nardwar. And also on the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show, if you want to check out that song, I've just tweeted out the link to it. Check out at Rhymesayers or at Brother Ali, and they'll send you the links. Coming up on the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show, an interview with director Kevin Smith, filmmaker Kevin Smith, will be phoning into the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show shortly promoting his appearance in Halifax this Saturday, January 26th. His smorgy, his smorgy, Kevin Smith, phoning into the Nardware to Human Serviette radio show. And to prepare you for Kevin Smith, here is Victoria's Budokan with the song Hey Wheels. Not about wheels from Degrassi, who sadly passed away. However, it's dedicated to Kevin Smith because Kevin Smith loves Degrassi. So here's Hey Wheels by Budokan, and then... An interview with Kevin Smith coming up on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette radio show. And thank you again, Brother Ali.
and you're still listening to the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. You just heard right there, Crazy and the Brains with King Kong. Crazy and the Brains from New Jersey. Thank you so much, Mr. Baldy Longhair, for sending this brand new Crazy and the Brains. Crazy and the Brains from New Jersey. Kevin Smith, the director from New Jersey, phoning in shortly to the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. And before Crazy and the Brains, Budokan from Victoria, British Columbia, Canada, with Hey Wheels, not about Wheels, who tragically died five years ago, and nobody knew that he died five years ago from Degrassi, but Kevin Smith loves Degrassi, so dedicated to Kevin Smith. Coming up right now, I was talking about doing your own radio show. Here's some information on how to run, I mean, screw doing your own radio show, how to run your own radio station. Maybe you might be able to get some tips. So here we go, and then an interview with... Kevin Smith on the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. From TM Productions. TMRC. Radio's hottest new ID series. The Tower of Power. W-A-B-C. Give it breathing room. The Tower of Power is an image ID series that takes charge. With your call letters leading the way. Get the best, the tightest rhythm section you can. Get a brass section that's on fire. The Tower of Power. If you think the Tower of Power's records come across strong, you're right. They didn't get an international reputation for nothing. Now you know why we chose the Tower of Power to play on your IDs. It's a knife-sharp sound with no corners cut. And all that extra effort's going to give your station class. You get what you want from TM's Tower of Power. You can conserve energy or pour on the fuel. Get back to music in a flash. The Tower of Power gives you the edge of superiority and at the same time gives you a first-class sound, the sound of a leader. The Tower of Power ties it all together. Your listeners will respond by remembering you. You. Your current logo will work with the Tower of Power. W-A-B-C. We've got the Tower of Power playing on your jingles. And it's easy as listening to them to get elect right now for all the details. 634-8511. Ask for Dennis Meeks. What he's got is hot. Today's rock is a product of yesterday's dreams. And thousands of yesterdays ago, there was... Three o'clock, four o'clock, Rock! There was a vision that in the beginning was a social outcast. But as time passed, the vision became a force, more of a way of life. How did it happen? TN Productions offers a radio ratings event that leads of rock. Learn round. The behind-the-scenes stories with actual interviews and rare original recordings. From rock's roots to its complex branches. The evolution of rock. 64 fast-paced fact-packed hours, yours exclusively. To lock in your listeners, call Dennis Meeks. Collect 214-634-8511. The Evolution of Rock. From TM Productions. And in Dallas today, a new high. Here's Susie. Thank you, Bob. It happened suddenly. It's given a whole new meaning to high, and it's sweeping the country from co... Sweeping the country. <laughs> Thank you, Susie. With the first cut, here's Charlie. 
Bob, when you hear something good, you know it. Did you hear the, just the solid feeling of that cut and the impact it had? That's only one cut from TM's Country High, a series that really for the first time, Bob, gets out of the country jingle stereotype. Country, uh, wait a minute. We're ready on the New York line. Hello, Norman, are you there? Yes, I'm here, Charlie. Good, go ahead. That gets, um, out of the country jingle stereotype. Country High is today in a big way. Country's come of age. Even in markets like New York City, country's got more listeners than most cities have people. And it got where it is by intelligent promotion, by building an image and constantly reminding the audience of it. call it country high for more than the obvious reasons. With solid, memorable identification like this, your station will keep a high profile, and that leads straight to higher ratings. 680 WMPS Put the plus on your pet, the heart's two in one plus. 59 WPS You're hearing Country High at work. No other programming device has the effectiveness of a TM Image ID. Your kind of country on your radio station. 1160 WJJP. As with all TM IDs, the call letter logo and the lyrics can be changed any way you wish. We want to give you a song to sing. Country High from TM Productions of Texas. Building a Country High image for your station just takes a phone call to TM's ID division. Area 214-634-8511 Collect. Ask for Dennis Meeks. It's as easy as picking... Ah, there's the phone now. And that's the news. Well, here we are on this turntable. What'll we do now? We're supposed to introduce the world's most successful commercial production libraries from TM. Okay. Here they are, direct from money-making sales engagements across the country, the producer and master plan. They're not here. There's not enough time. You're right. I can see the label from here. We'll just have to tell about how these two libraries have generated hundreds of thousands of dollars in increased billing for countless radio stations. And that they can do the same for them. You tell them. Okay, I'll tell them about the Chuck Moore campaigns, the artwork, sample scripts, image songs. Why not let them call Tim Moore at TM Productions? They could call Collect. That way it's free. Good idea. The number to call is 214-634-8511. Ask for details about radio's biggest moneymakers ever, the producer and master plan. Okay, let's go. TM's just released a hit album, 
It's called the Mellow Sound, and it's full of songs that'll identify your station and help build your image. That's right, songs, like the music you play. You are the minstrel, I your guitar. I play what you say, cause you are the star. You play the string so neatly I sing it out so sweetly You are a minstrel I your guitar You are a minstrel I play what you say Cause you are the star You play the strings so neatly And I sing it out so sweetly You are a minstrel I sad The songs in the mellow sound are full of feeling, classy, and what they'll do for you is give you a better image and make your station stand out more. Music makes you feel good, way down deep inside, keeps you feeling real good, and takes you on a ride to the moon, never gonna let you down. The songs involve your listeners, like the rest of the music on your station. So you can play a mellow sound song to keep your identity up without interrupting the music flow. And that opens the way for longer periods of continuous music. And some of the songs have been designed for specific day parts and audience appeal. This song is designed for female audience appeal. We've inserted it between two records to show you how it feels on the air. Every cut also comes with a shorter version for use when quicker image identification is preferred. The Mellow Sound's the new hit for album rock stations from TM. Putting the Mellow Sound to work for you is smart programming. Just call Dennis Meeks Collect at area 214-634-8511. 
At TM Programming, we can give you 11 good reasons why we're uniquely qualified to be your programming company. Five formats, custom blended for the most programming alternatives. The strongest rating company. The best bottom line. Large professional staff with programmers and consultants for each format. A consistently better sound. The finest production on studio quality recording equipment. Your choice of live or fully automated service. Market analysis by professional broadcasters. Most experience. We program more stations than any other company in the world. Continuous consultations. Complete broadcast services, including research, custom musical IDs, commercial and promotion production. At TM Programming, we can give you 11 good reasons why we're uniquely qualified to be your programming company. Our member stations can give you millions more. They're called listeners. For more information about TM Programming, call Ron Nickel Collect at area code 214 6348511 for a lot of good reasons. Be like all the others. The others. The others. The others. Or use the alternative. There's an alternative to sameness, and you've got it. The alternative from TM Productions. The alternative is programming intensity with a difference. A white-hot core of excitement for your air sound that fuses your call letters to the listener's mind. WQXI! Southwestern Bell, Yellow Pages. Positive energy. Positively better. Because for the first time in the history of jingles, the alternative goes beyond just singing call letters. Listen up, listen in. And you're listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. And we have a caller on the line. Hello, are you there, caller? I'm here, Nardwar. How are you? Good. Who are you? Uh, I'm the original Human Serviette of the Americas. They call me Kevin Smith. I made clerks once. Kevin Smith, welcome to the Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show. Thank you, sir. It's a pleasure. I, I've done uh, the real live version with you in person. We've spoken out in Toronto during the festival uh, many times, but the last time when I was there for Zach and Mary. So it's a pleasure to talk to you um, on air, man. But, I mean, it's, it's weird because you and I both have sticks that really require the clothing. And well, radio doesn't translate on the clothing. Uh, clothing doesn't translate on the radio, does it? Well, hold on a second here, Kevin Smith. Actually, I've never talked to you before. I should have said, welcome back to the Nardware to Human Survey radio show, because I've never actually talked to you in person. That could have been yeah, a... Nar- that- Jack and Mary, you had a van, no? No, that wasn't me. That was probably a Nardwar imposter, because the... You're la- telling me that somebody was literally dressing up like Nardwar and, and pulling my leg? I used a different human serviette than the true? That was not me. I have never done 
done an interview with you in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I would have loved to do that because the last time I talked to you was 17 years ago on a Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show, radio show when you were on, when I had the guy from Drawing Flies on as well. Malcolm Ingram, yeah, that's right. I think that was where we were first introduced. Yeah, like I was interviewing Malcolm and he had you call in to my interview. That was 17 years ago. So I'm not quite sure where this other Nardwar imposter has popped up from. What's really alarming about it, too, is I slept with that guy, man. That dude told me he could get things done for me in Canada. But little did I know I wasn't sleeping with the true Nardwar. Well, ba-boom on that one. But, Kevin, back to Drawing Flies. If people don't know, why was the guy from Drawing Flies, Malcolm, on the Nardwar to Human Survey Radio Show 17 years ago? Well, I guess I want to talk to him about his movie, Drawing Flies. What can you tell the people about Drawing Flies and your connection to it? Like, how did this all come to, like, Drawing Flies? Drawing Flies was this movie that we made back in, let me see, I want to say 96. It was after we had done Clerks and Mallrats, and I was able to pull together a little money from Miramax uh, to do a couple small movies, independent films. These were about 40 grand apiece. So uh, Malcolm was a guy that I'd met at the Toronto Film Festival when I was there with Clerks. Uh, we became friends. He took me to uh, Joey Jeremiah, Pat Mastriano's uh, Christmas party in Toronto one year. And so he was talking about this movie he was trying to do with his friend. I said, hey, man, I can finance that. I got this little deal with uh, Mirex. So we financed Drawing Flies. He took it to the Vancouver International Film Festival, a couple other places. Uh, it came out a few years ago on Indie DVD, a company that has since gone belly up. So we're about to re-release it soon ourselves under a Smodcast Pictures Presents banner uh, digitally. We're in the age of digital now, so, you know, Everything that didn't have a home before potentially has a home because now you can get things out to people a lot easier. Back in the day, very time-consuming, very costly if you're going to try to get somebody to release your movie. Now you can do it pretty uh, simply on your own. So uh, you'll be seeing more Drawing Flies digitally uh, this year, 2013. And I think I love Drawing Flies, too, because, you know, the Vancouver connection, Vancouver Film Fest and Vancouver Film School. And I was wondering, Kevin Smith, Vancouver Film School, which you finally got an honorary degree from after dropping out. I loved it for years. They promoted, like, Kevin Smith, Vancouver Film School, and you went there for three months, right? For three. I did. I dropped out after four months. But uh, Scott Mosier, my producer, he went there, as did Dave Klein, our, our DP. So they definitely they brought us all together, and we definitely learned some things there. I remember... Back in the day, after our first, uh, after Clerks got picked up, we saw that Vancouver Film School had mentioned, hey, the boys went here. And we were so young and such dorks and, and, and uh, mavericks or what have you. Just had such an attitude. I remember calling up the school and being like, you can't claim me, man, because I dropped out of the school. Uh, years later, I, I became less of an AH, and I was just like, oh, God, claim us, of course, because without you, we never would have met. It was a really cool school program. Uh, at the time, uh, it was the only one of its kind in existence. Now down here in the States, there are lots of schools like the L.A. Film Academy, the New York Film Academy. But at that day and age, 1991, I'd seen Richard Linklater's film Slacker, and, you know, I want to get into film. I can't go to USC or UCLA. These are four-year film programs. I'm already like two years behind, three years behind in my head. So I was looking at the Village Voices paper that they uh, is kind of the alternative weekly of Manhattan in the New York area. And uh, I saw an ad for this Vancouver Film School, and they promised like eight months in and out. And the tuition wasn't like, you know, you go to UCLA, it was like 30, 40K a year. Uh, you go to the Vancouver Film School, it was nine grand for the eight months. So I was like, oh man, I could afford that. And more importantly, it was hit and run. You were in and out in eight months. It wasn't like four years later, we might let you make a student film. 
these cats are like, as soon as you get here, I'm going to put your hands on equipment and stuff. So it was a really good school, really good program. I mean, unfortunately, I was in such a, a rush to make something that they were even going too slow for me because they spent the first few months doing film theory. And I was like, I have my own theories. I just want to get my hands on equipment. So it did bring us all together, uh, me, my producer, Scott Mosier, my, my uh, DP, David Klein. And then years later, they were really kind enough to give me an honorary degree. Like, yeah, they didn't, it's not a degree school. They give you a certificate of completion. And they gave me mine, even though I truly didn't complete. Their philosophy was, you did complete film school in the school of life, so you definitely earned it. It, it was a really fond memory for me. But without that school and without Vancouver, man, I don't think I ever would have made Clerks Vancouver was an important part, uh, important part of the ingredient because uh, nobody I knew in New Jersey was it was like uh, knowledgeable about putting the films together. Nor could they help me and stuff. I had to go out to the film school to meet some people who would then come back help me make my dreams come true. My dream was clerk. So Vancouver plays a big part in my life. Always, I went up there to shoot uh, a pilot for a show called Reaper. I worked on. I was up there uh, when I was in a movie. I wasn't didn't direct it, but I was acting in a movie called Catch and Release, and I spent. Uh, that about four months living up there again. So I love it. Whenever I go back to the Pacific Northwest, it, it's, it, it feels a little bit like going home to me. And this was all before I discovered weed. Now that I'm a weed smoker the last four years, oh, I love going to Vancouver, man. It's like weed central out there, son. Well, speaking of weed, has Snoop microwaved a blunt for you yet? I noticed you tweeted an interview that I did with Snoop Doggy Dog where Snoop microwaves a blunt. Has Snoop microwaved a blunt for you at all, Kevin Smith? He, has, he hasn't yet, and i got to tell you, that's the earmark of success in this town, and I haven't had it yet, so I still feel like a failure, man. Uh, I'm hoping, I'm going to do a, one of his YouTube shorts soon, so hopefully he'll do it then, old Snoop Lion. He's graduated, man. Ain't no more dog. He's total lion. Vancouver is very influential in the film school department, as you mentioned. How about Vancouver Film School influencing the community? What I was wondering about is, when you're going to school, I don't know if you remember this, but Vancouver has always sort of been famous for the 93-cent pizza places they had in the 1990s. And they were like dollar pizza as well. And I heard a rumor that those 93-cent pizza places got their start when Vancouver Film School did around that time because it was such a demand for cheap street food. Do you remember that? Do you think that the Vancouver Film School influenced cheap pizza in Vancouver? It's definitely an edible theory. And, and I can kind of back it up in as much as... Um, we all went to school kind of over by, like, the Granville area and whatnot, and, and we were all looking for cheap food. I was from out of town. A lot of people who went to school there didn't live in the area. You know, they were kind of uh, coming in from other places. I remember there was one woman there from Singapore. I was there from New Jersey. So, yeah, I was always looking for a cheap meal. And I, I remember, of course, like, they had the pizza places with cheap slices, but it was so prominent at that point that I recall the Granville McDonald's, the one that's on that street right there that's on the corner. Um, they started doing McPizza, something that I, I have never seen before or since. It was 1992, I was going to Vancouver Film School, and I remember walking around the block, and there's a big poster in the, in the window of McDonald's for McPizza. So they were reaching out to the younger crowd. I don't think it was a film school-built crowd, man, but I, I don't know if you remember. I don't know if it's the same way anymore, but in the early 90s, there was a huge... Uh, street population of kids in Vancouver. Uh, you know, kids that were not so much meth addicts or anything, but cats that were just kind of like living on the dole a little bit. Drawing Flies is about that. It's a movie about cats who are living off the welfare that's provided by the state. 
So I think it might have had to do more with the collection of street kids that were hanging out. Because I remember walking up and down a Grand or Canby Street, and man, it was just like it, it looked like a series of homeless people, but they were all young and viable and, and could work. And I think they were just more about being flower children, you know, very late to the game. So I would give them credit more so than the Vancouver Film School. Because to be fair, we had a little uh, a little place where you could eat right downstairs, a little uh, restaurant down in the basement. So I don't remember a lot of us going like, hey, man, the pizza's only 93 cents, six blocks up. I would definitely give credit that more to the street population of Vancouver at the time. Kevin Smith, I was wondering, did you go to any punk gigs in Vancouver? Because I was thinking New Jersey. In New Jersey, there was the City Gardens in Trenton, the punk venue. Did you ever hear of a punk venue, the City Gardens in Trenton? I, I'm familiar with it, but I never went. I wasn't cool enough to do stuff like that when I was younger. Punk, it wasn't something that came into my life until post-clerks, if you can believe it. And that was only because people would be like, hey, you made a punk rock film. And I was like, what does that mean? So that's when I started fully investigating punk rock. I wasn't one of those rebel kids, man. I mean, the fact that I wound up mega clerks is kind of strange because nothing about my personality led to that. I could see if I'd been to some punk rock gigs as a kid, like, yeah, you, yeah you'd have more of that ethos of DIY. We don't need anybody else. I want to rage and sing my song. Uh, and I thank God I didn't see punk rock first because then I probably would have tried to be a punk rocker as opposed to a filmmaker. But as it stands, punk rock came in later, so I didn't I didn't take in too many live events in Jersey. Like the live shows I would go to would be see George Carlin at Fairly Dickinson University or something like that. I was more of a live comedy guy. But you were into new wave, like new wave hookers, Tracy Lords, new wave hookers. Absolutely. Oh yeah, I'm tangential. Tangentially connected to the new wave by way of uh, new wave hookers too, Tracy, who was just so awesome to work with, man. She's really, really cool. And you want to talk about a great history and a, and a cool storyteller. Like, she's lived a very big, interesting life. One of the most interesting cats I ever met. But Tracy Lords, you actually got her to be in a movie that had the word porn in it. For years, she would never talk about porn. How did you, Kevin Smith, convince Tracy Lords to be in a movie that has the word porn in the title and actually to be in the movie? How hard was that? That's incredible. Many people had tried. She'd had a history, I guess, of, of kind of, you know, she put porn in her rear view, but I think she saw that you know, Zach and Mary make a porno is, is so good-natured. It's really a love story. It just happens to have a dirty little sheen to it, and that dirty little sheen is the world of porn. So she saw it for what it was, and, and she was like, look, anything else, I'd shy away. But she's going, this I can get my head around, and I think it's been a long enough time where I could kind of make fun of it and stuff. And also we weren't like, we want you on camera pretending to have sex. Um, she, she was, even though she was involved, she was. it, it wasn't like the... Focus. It wasn't a movie about Tracy playing a porn actress or something. I think there were enough comfortable elements in it that she said, all right, let's give it a shot. It certainly helped that we had uh, Canada's favorite son, Seth Rogen, in the cast. Uh, you know, that I'm sure swayed her, her decision a bit as well. Did she mention anything about John Nawad Holmes? You mentioned pornographic stories. Pornographic stories here with Kevin Smith. Tracy, did she mention anything about the greats, the greats? She didn't. She would talk more about kind of the, you know, the the storm and drang that surrounded uh, her outing as an underage porn actress. If you remember, that was like the big deal. Uh, she made a series of films that, that turned out to be, uh, I guess, uh, kitty porn because she was underage when she made them. And so then there's only a few. I think there's one called Tracy, I Love You, which is like one of her 
only legitimate porns that you can still buy or something like that. So I'd had a conversation with her, not so much about who was biggest and did they hurt or anything like that, but more about like, hey man, when I worked at RST, we had all RST Video, the, the video store that's in Clark's, we had all those movies. They had no idea that it was the older Tracy Lawrence stuff. So we had the early porn stuff. And, you know, and she would be like, man, people, you, if I had a nickel for everybody that told me they had one of my tapes or something like that. So generally, we talked a little bit about it, but not, you know, in depth. I never got to say, like, uh, Ooh, who was the list? What were they like? Let's go through them and stuff. And we're here live with Kevin Smith, and Kevin Smith will be in Halifax on Saturday, January the 26th for a smorgie, a smorgie, Kevin. Can you tell the people what's happening there? If anybody has any questions for Kevin Smith, it's 604-822-2487. It's 604-UBC-CITR, or you can also tweet at Nardwar, N-A-R-D-W-U-A-R. So, Kevin Smith, the Smorgie, Saturday, January 26th, next weekend in Halifax. Can you please explain? Absolutely. This thing, uh, I'm into podcasting in a big, bad way lately. I like what you do, the idea of theater of the mind, radio and stuff. No radio station will have me, so I wound up doing my own shows. I put them on a, a website called Smodcast.com, S-O-S-M-O-D-C-A-S-T.com. So for the last six years, that's all I've been doing constantly, is doing lots of podcasts. One is called Smodcast. That's a flagship show that I do with my friend Scott Mosier. Uh, there's a show called Hollywood Babylon that I do with Ralph Garman, and that's pretty much topical, all about what's going on in the entertainment business. We do that in front of a crowd on a Saturday night out here in Los Angeles. Uh, I do one with Jason Muse, my friend Jay to my Silent Bob in the movies. That's called Jane Silent Bob Get Old. It's an intervention podcast designed to keep him clean off the heroin and the Oxycontin, which he had a problem with at some point. Uh, I do one with my wife called Plus One, which is just kind of about us being married. I do one called Batman on Batman, which is pretty much about self-explanatory. Don't bury the lead. It's me sitting there talking about Batman every episode. So all these podcasts I've been doing for the last few years built up a nice little audience. We've done a lot of them live in front of audiences. We've been to Halifax before. They've got this awesome venue in the Spats Auditorium. It's a high school auditorium. Uh, it's so fun. So we went there, and I did an evening with Kevin Smith, a Q&A, and then I brought Jane, Silent Bob, Get Old there. Then I brought Smodcast there. And each time they sold it out, treated us really well. So uh, I said, all right, we want to do like a one-day festival, like a, a Lollapalooza kind of thing, but for just podcasts, uh, for our stuff. And we've got so many on the network. Let's bring a bunch of shows and do a day-long affair. So Smorgie is kind of like uh, Lollapalooza, but no music and no sex. Uh, it's just watching middle-aged people sit on stage talk to each other. Sounds boring, but it actually is kind of interesting. Good news about it is you can test drive anything before you come see the show. If you go to smodcast.com, all those podcasts are free. Just listen to them free for nothing. Um, if, you, if you like them and you're in the Halifax area on January 26th, which is Saturday, uh, come on out and join us, man. All day talk affair. It'd be a, a really good time. And we record them all, and then we put them up online later. So, hey, you get to even hear yourself laughing and whatnot, or if you're part of the show, you'll hear yourself be a part of it. But if you've never listened to a podcast, it's just like listening to the radio, except they could curse, and there are very few commercial breaks, man. It's uh, Somebody described it to me when I was first falling in love with the podcast. They said, have you ever heard of a podcast? I said, no, what is it? They said, well, it's like a commentary track on a movie. But no movie. And I said, oh, well, I've done plenty of commentary tracks, so let me see if I can handle it. And it's great, man. What I love about it is it, it's kind of like having your own radio show without somebody giving it to you. You're lucky. You're very well known. You've built up a reputation over the years, and everyone knows the Nardwar. 
So, of course, they're going to hand you a radio show. Someone like myself, man, they, you know, why you, buddy? You make movies. Go back to doing that. So I didn't, rather than wait for somebody to say, here, take a radio show. The podcast enabled me to do a radio show anytime I want. You know, you don't reach the same amount of people as you would with a radio transmitter, but it's real DIY to take it back to punk rock. It's like punk rock radio. The notion of, like, you don't need an antenna or a network to kind of put your message out there, get on a platform, do some talk radio stuff. If you want to play music, that's a different thing because, of course, that involves licensing. But to just sit in front of a microphone and spill out your head and heart, man, that always seemed appealing to me. And when podcasts came along, suddenly I was like, oh, I can, anybody can do this? And when I say anybody, I mean people within, my, within earshot who are listening to this, as fun as it is to listen to people talk on the radio, as entertaining as it can be, there's no difference between me and Ardbor and you guys, man. You're just as interesting. Sit down with a friend in front of your laptop, plug a mic in. You don't even have to plug a mic in. If you've got a good laptop, you've got a mic built in, and start chattering, man. And some people go, who's going to care? You never know who's going to care, man. Friends of mine, uh, Brian Johnson, Walt Flanagan, they were on my show's podcast. I said, everyone loves you guys. You should do your own podcast. And they were like, nah, nobody likes this. They just know it's because of you. I said, you should do it. Finally, I kicked their butts into gear, and they did this podcast. They've been doing it for over 100 episodes called Tell Em Steve Dave. That very podcast turned into a TV show called Comic Book Men, which airs on AMC, uh, and it's coming back February 14th. So you never know where the conversation can end. They tell you talk is cheap, Nardwar, and I know you know this. Talk is absolutely cheap, but if you aggregate enough of it, it can be priceless, particularly based on what it is you're choosing to talk about. So I urge everyone with an earshot, number one, Come see us at Smorgy in Halifax if you're nearby. Number two, though, whether or not you're going to Smorgy, open up, crack your laptop, man, put it to some good use. Just, you know, I'm not saying don't look at pornography. Of course, that's what a laptop is for. We all love naked people. But when you're done looking at the naked people, press record on any number of those recording devices you got there, man, and just start talking because you got to be the star of your own show in this life. Some of us wait for somebody to discover us. Smart people like Nardwar, man, they went out and made themselves. You know the human serviette because he puts his time in on it. Same thing anybody listening could be doing. Crack open a laptop, start recording your own podcast. And nobody tell you you can't, man. That's what's beautiful about it. And you say whatever you want, and then you got a platform. And people listen to it. They give you some feedback and stuff. They're like, I like listening to your thoughts. And things. You feel good about yourself. Nardwar will tell you the same thing. Kevin Smith, live on the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show, 604-822-2487. That's 604-UBC-CITR if you have any questions for Kevin Smith. Or you can also tweet at Nardwar. Kevin Smith, I have a quote here for you. Quote, well, it's time they got their act together, folks. They're ruining the whole league. They had better stop running a Mickey Mouse organization and put somebody on ice. That is, uh, Wayne Gretzky said that about my beloved New Jersey Devils back in 1982 when they played a game where Edmonton beat Jersey, I think it was something like 13 to 1 or something like that. And in goal was an old friend of uh, Wayne Gretzky's, and uh, so he sa- he maintains that he had made that quote or said that quote for him. He felt bad for his friend who was getting scored on. So Gretzky, uh, one of the only times that I can ever think of or history has proven that Gretzky ever did a wrong move or put his foot in his mouth is when he kind of sounded off of, of, about the New Jersey Devils, who would then, of course, go on to win three Stanley Cups uh, You know, a couple years after that.
Because I was wondering, Gretzky, you got his signed stick from Walter Gretzky and pics and stuff. Did you get a chance ever to confront Mr. Walter Gretzky on that quote or even Gretzky himself on that quote? Or will you be able to ask Paulina Gretzky about that quote if you ever cast her? Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I know where it came from. He's explained it a few times in some stuff I've read. And I certainly couldn't hold him for to something that he said when... You know, he was a 20-something guy about, you know, a team that's completely different now. And perhaps his advice kicked him in the ass or the things he said, you know, made them try harder because a few years later they were winning Stanley Cups. So, uh, no, I've met Walter Gretzky, and we talked about a number of things. Uh, I, I, we, I went up to his uh, street hockey tournament, the Walter Gretzky Street Hockey Tournament. He holds in Brantford, Ontario every year, the hometown of Wayne Gretzky. Um, so I, I, I was there twice. I met, I met him. Uh, we, we, we got him in the World, Guinness Book of World Records uh, with the second tournament because there was this Guinness Book of World Records record for the hockey, the largest street hockey tournament ever or something. It was based on entries. And so we got this idea of like, hey, let's see if we can, uh, you know, kind of go over that record. Let's see if we can take the record and for the Walter Gretzky Street Hockey Tournament. So me and Walter Gretzky went out and did a bunch of press and, the TV and radio talking about, come on out all across Canada. Come on out, man, and play in the Walter Gretzky Street Hockey Tournament. We're trying to get Walter into the Guinness Book of Records, and sure enough, man, we won. We got Walter into the Guinness Book of World Records for the hockey tournament with the most entries or something like that. I think we wound up beating a team that was out near, a tournament that was out by Vancouver. Um, that They had, I think, 200, 198 or something. We had 200 or something. So I've met him a few times, Walter Gretzky, hell of a man, Canada's dad, if you will, uh, but at the same time, I never once said, why do you think your boy said that stuff about the devil's man? You know, I just seemed a little weird after the fact. And we have a caller. Caller, are you there? I'm here. Go ahead to Kevin Smith. Hey, Kevin, Jeff here, Jeff Baker. Hey, man, how are you? Good. It's, uh, it's amazing to talk to you. Excellent to talk to you. Listen, I, I, not, not with that reaction. Hey, man, how are you? Uh, I wish I could have come across the scintillating information. Like, Jeff, we had a road rise to meet you or anything like that. But instead, I went <laughs> weekly. with like, how are you? I'm doing great. Uh, I feel like I live with you every day. I've been uh, listening to a lot of your podcasts. And I'm all over Comic Book Man and the movies. And people are starting to worry about me. Uh, that's, uh, look, I'm glad that you like me because I got a wife and she's exposed to this stuff all the time and she don't like any of it. So I'm always happy to meet somebody who's like, I like your stuff because I'm like, wow, my wife doesn't. And, <laughs> and caller, have you checked out Kevin Smith's hockey podcast at all? I haven't, actually. You know, uh, he's got a lot of podcasts, so it's hard to, uh, you know, I'm going through the backlog of stuff and listening to it all and... Uh, you know, I haven't even got caught up yet. You know, I, I just kind of got turned on to podcasts about six months ago or something, and been through all the Fat Man on Batman. I'm a big fan of that. And uh, thank you. Yeah, it'll take you a while to catch up. And somebody once, like I think when we started moving into like the third podcast I was doing, somebody tweeted something about like, how am I supposed to keep up with all this? And my point was like, you don't have to keep up, man. Like it'll all be there when you want it you know like years ago it used to be like i'd make a movie and then demand people go see it uh, when the times were appointed and stuff like that it's different now now you know you if you're a smart artist 
or smartest, if you will. You learn to live in, in the white noise of the audience's life, so you're there for them when they want you. So when people say, like, how am I supposed to listen to all this? I'm always like, take a lifetime, and there's no rush. Like, get to it when you can. I want to be your best friend when you got nothing to do. That moment when you're in a doctor's office and they've triple-booked everybody, so you're going to be sitting there for two hours. You've read every magazine in the lobby, so what are you going to do? You reach in for your smartphone, you start listening to one of our podcasts, man. I want to be there when the audience needs me, not vice versa. So there are a bunch, man, but you've got a whole lifetime to catch up with them. And if you don't, no worries, man. You use them as you will. Use them as a podcast serviette, if you will. Any, yeah, other, totally. qu- any other questions at all, Jeff, for Kevin Smith on the Nardwarty Human Serviette radio show? Well, I was going to say I like the uh, Comic Book Men uh, companion podcast. I kind of wish there was more... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish I wish uh, there was more of those. I mean, uh, there's going to be more. Are... Basically, what we do is one for every episode of, of the show Comic Book Man. We try to do as a companion. So we keep we we only do them in as much as like there have been. Let me see, six episodes in the first season of Comic Book Man, eight in the second season. We come back in February 14th for season two B, and there'll be another eight. So that means there'll be another eight secret stashes. But we don't want to do them without the show because they kind of tie to the show sometimes uh, topically or whatever, or at least tangentially. But um, it felt like yeah, that was the show was designed to be the companion. If I, if I could do anything with that show, it would be to be on it more frequently because I like being on it with Brian and Walt yeah. and Ming and Mike. But sometimes they wind up recording it back east and I'm not around. Uh, so there have been lots of episodes where I'm not involved. Well, thanks so much for phoning in, Jeff the Caller. Anything else you want to add to Kevin Smith? Yeah, well, I wanted to say that you've influenced me, and uh, I'm going to be putting up my new, po- my own podcast here in a couple of weeks. Do it, man! Uh, it's fun. There's not yeah, it's it's really awesome. as long as it's not a podcast about you know pederasty or how to kill people. It's all good. It's all wonderful to share, man. And, and think about how cool it feels to express yourself. Like that was the one thing totally. I grew up watching. TV, listen to radio, man, you see other people doing it, and you're like, well, my opinion counts. Why can't I say something? And the podcast really allows you to do it. Like, making films, yeah, that absolutely allows you to express yourself as well, but it's pretty costly. A podcast, very inexpensive and so damn fulfilling. Sit down with people you like, uh, people you love. I sat down and recorded one with my mother, a couple of them, and, like, I'll be listening to those, like, long after she's gone. I'll always have a record of that cool day we sat down and chit-chat. It's like taking a, a kind of a audio snapshot yeah. of a moment in your life. And, and, boy, it feels good. I mean, whether or not you got, yeah. you know, a bunch of people listening or five people listening, it's just being able to express yourself. I got this theory that all human beings really need is, is food, sex, and to be heard. And, you know, the food thing, we hook up pretty easily. Sex, you know, with varying uh, results and degrees. Of course, we could always make that work ourselves. But the to-be-heard part, that was always the most difficult. In the age of social media, it's a lot easier now to be heard. There are a lot of platforms. The podcast one of the most powerful and most fulfilling. Well, thanks so much for phoning in, Jeff. Keep on Thank rock- you very Keep on rocking in the free world. And do-do-do-do-do. do And you listening to Nardwar the Human Serviette Radio Show. We have Kevin Smith live here. Kevin Smith will be in Halifax, Nova Scotia next Saturday, January the 26th for a smorgy. And if you want to join in on the smorgy right now, it's 604-822-2487, 604-UBC-CITR. Or you can tweet at Nardwar if you have any questions for Kevin Smith. And Kevin, back to 
to hockey, do you remember Troy Crowder of the New Jersey Devils beating up Bob Probert? Of course, of course. It was a big point of pride for those of us in Jersey at one point. We we all know that uh, Probert, of course, was a legend, an absolute legend. So um, it, it's, uh, it, you know, there was, uh, that, that was memorable, to say the least. There's quite a few interesting goonish New Jersey Devils tidbits out there. Like, how about Mike Peluso, the goonish Mike Peluso, crying, crying his eyes out on the bench five minutes before winning the Stanley Cup in the lockout season, not this time, but last time. Do you remember that, Mike Peluso crying? I mean, wouldn't you, if you knew you were about to accomplish the goal that you have lived your whole life to accomplish, and you're five minutes out from winning that cup, man, I would go to pieces, too. Think about it. From boyhood, these some of these guys have been trying to put this together, dreaming of one day lifting up the Stanley Cup, and to be within reach of it, even if you're a big, tough guy like that, I think you're allowed more than tears, man. You totally uh, turned sissy in that moment. What did you think of Goon in the movie? It had George LaRock in it. George LaRock was in Goon I know, the movie. I saw that opening scene. I was like, oh, my Lord, I know this cat. Um, it was, I enjoyed it, man. I enjoyed uh, Goon. It was a flick that at first I had a weird relationship with because I was going to make a hockey movie called Hit Somebody with Sean William Scott. And then all of a sudden, Sean William Scott wound up taking this other hockey movie called uh, Goon. Uh, you know, but so in the beginning, I was like, oh, thanks. Uh, when I saw the movie, though, I, I enjoyed it. I thought they did a really nice job. I thought they got the the, uh, the, the dynamics of the team in the locker room just uh, perfectly. Uh, at the same time, I was relieved that it was the movie it was because I'm pretty sure that's the movie most people would assume that I would make, the hockey movie I would make. Uh, most people are like, you're going to make your hockey movie like, uh, like Slapshot? No, to me, there's only one slap shot, so I would never go that way. The hockey thing that I was working on uh, hit somebody. The feature, which we're going to turn into a miniseries, going to be a miniseries instead, um, is a little more romantic look at, at uh, the game. And there's humor involved, definitely, but it's, it's, uh, it's based on the miniseries, the CBC miniseries, Hockey of People's History. So it's, it's more romantic and, and, and not as much like, you know, isn't it funny that we can make sex jokes in a locker room? Which I'm all for, man. Believe me, I ain't looking down on it. I think that's very cool. But my version, if I was going to do a hockey movie, I just didn't want to do one that's already been, been done. So I was glad when I saw Goon, because that kind of takes that off the table for me now. I'm like, oh, well, this movie just did the wacky hockey movie. So even more of a reason for me not to do it. You know, the important thing is to not leave yourself as an artist, places to hide where you're not going to push yourself even further. And thankfully, because Goon exists, then I won't go anywhere near it in the thing I'm doing, and it'll make me push myself a little bit harder as an artist. So ultimately, it's all good on Goon. And I love Leah Schreiber and his performance in that movie. That one scene that he's got with Sean William Scott where he's just like, I will take you to the FL, is such a good scene, man. It's like this insanely... And crazily Academy Award uh, worthy performance in the midst of uh, a hockey movie. Ca- Caller, are you there? Caller, are you there? Caller, are you there? Hello? Caller, go ahead to. to the radio. Yes, Caller, yes. go ahead to. I-, I was listening to the radio. Go ahead Hello, to. Kevin Smith. Hello, Nardwar. Welcome to the Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show. Caller, go ahead to Kevin Smith. Hi, Kevin. I'm a huge fan. I, um,. Yeah, I, I just want to say that I uh, got a lot of inspiration of how you released Red State. I know it's on a smaller scale, but I did a documentary about Canadian hip-hop, and I kind of released it the same way. I just did a little tour of Canada. What, 
what's the name of the, what's the name of the documentary? Uh, Hip Hop A, like E H. Oh, that's awesome, dude! Great title. How did it go? How did your distribution thing go? Uh, it it went pretty good. I'm just uh, you know I met a lot of good contacts and it was uh, it was a really good experience. Um, got to I went to a lot of the smaller theaters and uh, learned a lot about distribution in Canada. So that was uh, you know that was really good. Nicely done, man. Nicely done. I uh, my question to you is. Um, what, do you have any? Well, I have two questions. First one is a selfish one. The uh, you know, you have any advice for up and coming filmmaker as myself? Yeah. Oh God, what is the advice? I mean, the best advice I can give you is that uh, there's no such thing as failure. Uh, I got told many, many times that I've failed. People still tell me I failed to this day, this side or the other thing. No such thing, man. Uh, the biggest failure of my career supposedly was Mallrats, and that's the movie that. Most people come up to me to talk about of anything I've ever done. It's the gateway movie. So in the moment, you'll have a bunch of people passing judgment because it's very easy to pass judgment on something you'd never do yourself or be brave enough to try. So you'll have a bunch of people qualifying and telling you whether you've succeeded or failed. Uh, don't believe them, man. Like, you, you, you know, when you get to, when you set out to make a production or something like that, or make any art, even if it's knitting a fucking blanket, sorry for the language, watch the language there. Uh, knitting a blanket or or making cupcakes, man. You, you know, basically, you start out building a church, right? Building a chapel. You slow over time with uh, mistakes, uh, learning from mistakes. You you do better the next time. You turn it into a church. Next time, you aim for a cathedral. And even as your steeple's breaking the sky, you'll hear no end of people who'll tell you how you're doing it wrong. Just never listen, man. There's no such thing as failure. Ultimately, the only failure, of course, is we all die. Our bodies fail and give out on us. But failure, man, is nothing but success training. Don't let anybody tell you how to feel about your art. You make it. doesn't matter how it's received. doesn't matter if it does financially well or not. It's how you feel. You made it for a reason to put it out there in the world, to get it off your head and your heart, get it off your chest, if you will. At that point, it doesn't matter what the dollar figures say. It doesn't matter what critics say. It matters how you feel as the person making the art. And if you love it, never betray it, dude. Like Mallrats back in the day, I'd make fun of it and be like, you know, oh, yeah, it was a movie you made, didn't make your money, it flopped, and blah, blah, blah. And Mallrats is, is an important movie in my life, man. I mean, I loved it when we made it, and then it didn't do well, so... I, I didn't speak well of it, but without Mallrats, so many other people wouldn't have found Chasing Amy on video or Dogma or went back and watched Clerks. So Mallrats winds up being a gateway film, and just because some other cats said it wasn't successful doesn't mean that that's the case. So never listen to somebody else, dude. You know in your head and heart whether you succeed. It doesn't matter what it says on the ledger. doesn't matter what they say in the newspapers. You know whether or not you've achieved what you were going for. So listen to that inner voice. I mean, I'm not telling you anything, though. Straight out of Shakespeare, to thine own self be true kind of thing. Any other questions at all, caller? Yes, yes, I do. I know that uh, you were attached to Superman at one time, and uh, I, I listened to your podcast, and I know that you've been talking about um, the Canadian uh, hockey fighting uh, that was a movie, now is a TV series. I was just yeah. wondering what's the, the progress. On, uh, we're uh, we're still many series. Um, hopefully by the end of this year, I'm shooting. Um, I want to tell you who it is, uh, but they I got that's their thing, so they're going to do it, and they don't want to do that yet. Um, it, it's a slow process, of course, the paperwork part of any job, but I, it's got a home. It's got a place where it makes absolute sense, where it, it, it should be, where uh, we can make it, and they'll 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 back the vision. They'll understand like how important the story is, because ultimately it's not important, right? You're just making a little 
miniseries about hockey and hockey from 1950 to 1980, and not even NHL hockey, but a WHA type league. But if I've learned anything from from watching hockey players, man, particularly like Wayne Gretzky, if a hockey player is playing the game like their life depends on it, if they're really good, they play that game like it's like they're saving the world or something like that. You do that, and it lifts the importance of something that should be a simple pastime into something with meaning. That's why we like to look to sports and, uh, and like sports figures and for uh, inspiration sometimes, even if you're not into sports remotely. So uh, for me, man, it, you know inside whether or not you've rung the bell. No, nope, rung the bell. Nobody else can tell you that, and don't let them. I made a mistake early on in my career of letting people tell me when I did well and when I didn't do well. But really, you only know that inside. So I mean, that's. I mean, I know a lot of people looking for a magic bullet. Like, how do I get rich and stuff? I don't know. I, I'm still trying to figure that out myself. But I can tell you this, man. Don't listen to anybody else. You're you're judged. You're the person. You put it into the world. You're its author. You're the one who knows how to feel about it. Don't let anybody tell you how to feel about your art because you only get to make it that one time. Unless you're George Lucas, then you keep remaking it, remaking. Thank well, you so much. I just wonder, are you still playing poker at all? Uh, we haven't as, as much lately. I played about six months ago, but we haven't uh, been playing as much as we used to. Muse was the driving force of most of our poker interest, and, uh, and when he lost interest, we kind of stopped playing. And then we got kind of busy over the last two years. But uh, hopefully we're going to bring it back. We want to start bringing back the games that we do at the Secret Staff, because those were kind of fun. Well, thanks so much for phoning in, caller, and doot-doot-a-loot-doo. Doot-doot. You need to get Nardwar in a, in a movie. Kevin. Done and done, man. I'm trying. I almost had him when we were shooting Reaper because we we're up in Vancouver. Anytime. Well, thank you, caller, and doot doo loot doo. Doot doot. Double doot doot. And thank you, Kevin. And actually, Kevin, the phone lines are lighting up and the tweet lines are lighting up. And we only have so much time, so I'm just going to try to rip through this. Just quickly, I was going to say the movie Youngblood actually has a connection to me, Nardwar, to Human Serviette, because my great great cousin, Eric Nestorenko, who played in NHL for 20 years, Chicago Blackhawks, Toronto Police, plays the coach in Youngblood. What do you think about Youngblood? How did my uncle, Eric Nestorenko, do? He was there with Rob Lowe. I love Youngblood. At the same time, it's got the weirdest last few minutes of any movie ever made because everything, it's about teaching the main character, like, hey, man, you don't have to fight to be a good player. And then he proves that in the game. He doesn't fight, and he's a good player, and he wins the game. But then after the game, he has a fight anyway. And they, they fight with, like, their sticks, using them like spears. It's this weird kind of face-off that you would never see so much in the real world. But it's a movie that negates its ultimate, like, uh, lesson. The moral lesson is, we hey, when you play the game straight, we all win. You know, when they're, you're doing it on the up-and-up, we all win. We can all be winners. And he does win playing it on the up-and-up, but then he's like, and now that I've won... It's time to beat Racky's ass, you know, and then you go at it. I, I dig that movie, man. Uh, I mean, I know a lot of people like that ain't real hockey, but that movie will always represent uh, 80s hockey to me. That movie is the reaction to Wayne Gretzky going to Los Angeles to the Kings. Caller, are you there? Uh, yes, that Hello, caller. Go ahead to Kevin can Smith. Hear, can you hear me? Yes, just speak up a tiny bit if you could, caller. Okay, uh, I'm going to try. Uh, Kevin, listen, I'll I give you three names. And uh, if, you could, if you wouldn't mind telling me what's your take on those three guys and to, to which one of those you feel the closest. Roman Polanski, Woody Allen, and Lars von Trier. 
Uh, if anyone, this is going to sound weird, but I would imagine I'm a little closer to Lars Montier. He's still a far more gifted filmmaker than I'll ever be in a million years, but his sensibility uh, is kind of a little more outside the box than the other two. And, and that's what I like to do is tell weirder stories. Woody Allen, with the exception of, you know, some of the some fantastic stuff or fantastical stuff he's done, generally plays it pretty straightforward. Roland Polanski, you know, aside from, of course, Rosemary's Baby, he generally plays it kind of straightforward, too. Whereas Lars von Trier, you can't figure out what a Lars von Trier movie is. He's all over the map. It's, you, you always get the sense that, like, if somebody gave him a very standard script for, for you know, a movie-type movie, he wouldn't want Even if they gave him a King's Ransom, he wouldn't want to do it. He's only interested in making Lars von Trier films. So in that way, I, I, I would identify with him a little bit, because I'm only interested in making Kevin Smith films. But that being uh, said, well, you know, so that's his gift. I, I think Polanski, Polanski never done the same movie either, is, is he? Yeah, no, I would have, believe me, I'm not saying these cats, they all make the same movie. That's not what I'm saying. They tend not to go for the fantastical as much. Yes, well, in Roman Polanski's body of work, he's got Rosemary's Baby, and he's got that Johnny Depp movie he did about 25, 30 years later. But generally well, speaking, he likes feeling real-world characters. That's what my take on Polanski is. Uh, I think that, you know, essential Polanski is it's the tenants. But uh, we have an idea why is that Woody Allen is just watched watched in Europe. Nobody nobody even goes to cinema in in, in this on this continent to see Woody Allen. Um, I'm, I don't know. I can't speak uh, to to that necessarily. Believe me, I've been what wondering why people What's more people guess? don't go to the cinema. But you know, it's nice that uh, that the social media has kind of made the world even smaller. Because I think the caller Kevin was talking specifically about Woody Allen. Why more people don't go see Woody Allen? Yeah, that's what I mean. I, that's what I was trying to get to. I feel like uh, it's you know he's got his his army of fans. He's, he has his audience as well, and sometimes more people go than not. But he's got a general Woody Allen base, and, and they all kind of go. Same thing with a lot of filmmakers. Lars von Trier is the same way. He's got a bunch of people who really dig his work, but you know I would think it's not like enough to you know cover the the, the budget of an X Men movie or something like that. But he has an ardent fan base for what he does. Why these fan bases aren't bigger, I don't know. And believe me, if I can figure out why Woody Allen's fan base isn't bigger, I'd be able to figure out my, why my fan base isn't bigger. And that's kind of a, what I'd be more concerned about than why, why Woody doesn't have more fans. As far as I know, every, the whole world seems to love Woody Allen. They may not go out to see the movie at the theaters, but they eventually catch up with him at home and stuff. And it's always puzzling when filmmakers we like don't get the attention we feel they deserve. But uh, I guess part of the game, isn't it, man? That's kind of also what makes you like a filmmaker as much, too, a little bit. If they're an underdog, you're kind of rooting for them, man. You want more people to discover them. Well, thanks. That is exactly what you said, because, you know, they don't give a shit, really, what people think about their work, whatever. They took three different guys. But, you know, they stick to their guns, and they're doing it, and, you know, they become successful after, after a while. Absolutely, but you know what? It's 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 after. Sometimes it's afterwards or after a while, and a lot of people don't want to mimic that. A lot of people want the success without having to go through you know the rigmarole. People look at like what Woody Allen does or Lars von Trier, and they're like, "Hey, man, they're executing their vision, doing what they want. That's what I want to be." But you know, you talk to those guys; they put in a lot of years to get to that point, man. Yes, from there, right out the gate, they're making interesting work. But it's building up uh, enough interesting work where people will leave them alone so they can do exactly what they want to do. And yeah, I think well, it, uh, all it, three it, of those cats that you referred to have gotten to that place. Well, thank you so much for phoning in, uh, Hans. Well, I'm not done yet here. This is the one thing. It's just, We're running uh, out of time, Hans. We're well, running out of time. Well, excuse me. We are not
Oh, so keep going, Hans. I didn't mean for you to hang up. <laughs> are you guys fighting? Are you I there? Feel like mom and dad are fighting. Hans, are you still there? Hans, you there, sir? Hans, Hans hung up. He, he left. I was not telling him. I was saying, hurry up, hurry up, and he just he. Hans, Dude, I, I was right there in the, with you. You didn't. I almost said in you. They, <laughs> with you, you did that. You were not threatening anything. You just asked him to kind of speed it up a little bit. But he was cutting you off. You were like, okay, we're gonna move on. He's like, I'm not done. Well, so, I guess I just wanted, I don't know why I hung up. Man. I guess I just want to. Say, uh, I, just, I just want to get to some little tweet here. A uh, John Kurz tweeted in and said, "Mike Keen versus Randy McKay, best fight I've ever seen." Little hockey tidbit there for you. I'm gonna say it again. Say the two names again. Mike Keen versus Randy McKay. That was. I'm gonna. I'm gonna YouTube that right now. I'm gonna check that out. So they could check it. And actually, I have a question for you. Actually, kind of regarding an interview that I did. I'm gonna play this to you over the phone right now. This is not with you, but it's something that you might know of, and some people that you know quite well. So I'm gonna play this for you. Hopefully, you can hear this right here. It's a little two-minute clip. So just hang on for a second. This is from March 13th, 1992. March 13th, 19. Just remember, 1992. Kevin Smith. March 13th, 1992. And here is the people that I'm interviewing. Here we go. And who do we have in the studio? today amanda and pat <laughs> otherwise known as spike and joey we are down with opp in the motherfucking house with spike and joey spike and joey from degrassi right <laughs> you got it did much intermingling between the various members of the cast of degrassi occur in other words did you ever get it on with any <laughs> of the other cast members i mean come on don't deny it yes. did it did it ever happen i mean it must have been something like that yeah. With some people, there were, you know, extra curricular activities happening beyond work. But I'm not telling you with who and who and what happened. You can talk to the kids at Agrassi too. It's 822-2487, UBCCITR, talk to the kids of Degrassi. You're on the air with Degrassi Talks, hello. Yeah, hi, uh, I was just wondering if, like, how, how possessive are you guys of Degrassi? Like, would you get really mad, like, if they did, like, a Degrassi in the next generation, like William Shatner? Or would you, like, would you, like, want to continue, like, do movies where you get really old and stuff like that? And also, um, what, what are your feelings toward, like, uh, like if they were to do, like, a, a young... Joey or Spike, like a young Degrassi, like an elementary thing. Like Indiana Jones type thing. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like young like, Indy. How would you feel if Lucasfilm got involved with Young Degrassi? Joey, Joey, you couldn't get any shorter, could you? Shut <laughs> up. You're shorter than I am, so what are you talking about? I know about? you're better than me. You're better than me. I wish I was like you. God, I wish I was like Joey. Okay, go ahead. Okay, um, I think that'd be great. I say go for it. I mean, uh, I'm not protective of it, and I'm kind of, you know, I'm happy that now I can move on. I've done my Degrassi days, and uh, I can move on and hopefully do other stuff. Yeah, if somebody wanted to do a show, then that would just mean that they didn't want it to stop and want to try something new and different. Assure me, Spike and Joey, Pat and Amanda, that you guys are not Shirley Temples. Are you Shirley Temples? You look like Shirley Temples? No, I mean, are you Shirley Temples? Shirley Temples, like beautiful teen stars, and then go on to like right wing politics. <laughs> Shirley, like I mean, that's it for you. Are you Shirley Temples? I guess you'll soon find out. <laughs> Before we go, uh, uh, Degrassi kids, do 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 do. 
Anyways, Kevin Smith, did you hear that clip at all from March 13th? I did, I did. That was Amanda Steptoe who played Spike and, and Pat Mastriani who played uh, who played Joey Jeremiah, man. And what uh, if... And that was, they were promoting Degrassi Talks at the time? Yes, they were. And what that I find... Was on, I think that was on the air while I was going to film school because I went to see them at uh, BC uh, with a Lions play, you know, where the Terry Fox statue is. They were having this thing called Movie Magic and the kids came out... Uh, from Degrassi, I saw, that's where I met Stacy Mustachian and stuff. But I remember when Degrassi talks was on the air. It's so wild. March thirteenth, nineteen ninety-two. That's when I did an interview. And why I played that there, Kevin Smith? Because I know you're a big Degrassi fan, and you, huge I didn't, fan in size and in spirit. And you've been on it. But what's interesting is I don't know if you heard that caller. A caller phoned in on the Nardwarda Human Survey Radio Show and predicted Degrassi the next generation. Did you hear that? Like a caller goes in. I did. It was kind of like, what would happen if they did another generation? But I'd be okay with that. And then they both wound up in it. I got to act with both of those cats. I mean, I was in a scene with Spike, and I was in a scene with Joey. I felt life was complete at that point. I wanted to ask you also about John McClain from the New Jersey Devils. Yeah, yeah. Now, John McClain of the New Jersey Devils had a big mouth guard that made his mouth really bulgy. And John McClain was Bruce Willis's character in Die Hard. They both share that big mouth quality. Baboom! <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, man, Johnny Mac. Also, he was a coach at one point, too. But, uh, yeah, it was the name of uh, Bruce Willis's character. And we and did... That was cool when I was a kid. And then I worked with him, and then it wasn't so cool anymore. Well, we have an email question from Rebecca. And Rebecca asks, a friend of mine, a friend of mine said that you... Kevin Smith told a story that may or may not have been true about what a dick Bruce Willis was when you were at Comic-Con last year. And she was wondering if Bruce Willis has ever talked to you since they made that cop movie together. No, isn't that weird? Last time I saw him and spoke to him was at the premiere. Uh, he was there and, uh, you know, he said some nice things or whatever. But that was it. That was the last time uh, we spoke. And then I've written about him in the book. I had a book that came out last year called the Tough S, S-H, you know, that word, Tough S. We call it Tough Smith. Um, but in that, there was a whole chapter where I talked about him as well. Yeah, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't uh, everything I hoped he would be. Um, and uh, it's, it, it, maybe that's part of, partly on me and as much as I went in expecting something. But, uh, yeah, he was, he, was, he was not the warmest human being on the planet, at least. Kevin Smith, your wife, Jen, your wife, Jen, who will be joining you for a smorgy next Saturday, the 26th in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Your wife, Jen, likes the Hartford Whalers. Yeah. Now, remember... She's got a... I mean, to say that she likes it would be a stretch. She's got a jersey and a shirt that she wears uh, regularly. But, um, uh, yeah, it's not like she plays the brass bonanza whenever she walks into a room or something like that. Now, do you remember Pavel Bury delivering the mother of all elbows to Shane Churla at all? I don't, I don't. Tell me the story. Again, something for you to YouTube. Some little homework there for Kevin Smith on an Artwater Human Survey Radio Show. Just check out Pavel Bure and Chain Sherla. It's on one of those Don Cherry's Rock'em Sock'em Hockeys, and it's like the mother of all elbows. 
Are you getting confronted with every little hockey rumor now that people know you're into hockey and into the Edmonton Oilers? Like, for instance, did you ever hear that rumor that Grant Fuhrer of the Edmonton Oilers totaled his Porsche one night while high, supposedly, on coke? And then afterwards, the cops were like, oh, you're Grant Fuhrer, we'll give you a ride home in the cop car and not take you to jail. Have you heard of that stuff happening because the Oilers were so revered in Edmonton? I have not heard that story, but I, I mean, I don't know. I, I know Fuhrer had some issues with some substances at one point I'd read about. I didn't hear that, but I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, good Lord, they love their Oilers in that town, particularly in that era. Dynasty Oilers walk on water, and uh, they put that town on the map in such a big, bad way, and they got that team five less than five years, about five years, after they entered the league, and it wasn't quite, you know, uh, I don't even know what it was. It's not like they were born into the league. They just kind of merged into the league. But it took them five years to win that Stanley Cup and put that city on the map in a big way, keep those cups coming. They had the world's greatest athlete who ever lived playing in their city. So naturally you'd imagine, you know, people were like, oh, well, if nobody was hurt here, he just busted up his car and he didn't get hurt, hey, yeah, we can overlook this and kind of say, you know, hero worship will go pretty far. And at least those guys, from all, for all intents and purposes, from everything I've read, didn't abuse it, weren't like total scumbags and stuff. You're talking about a different degree of athlete in general when you're speaking about a hockey star, hockey players, uh, definitely uh, more human than, than most athletes, not to say other athletes are inhuman, but hockey players keep their head about their heads on their shoulders. You talk to any journalist, they'll tell you, like, uh, who's the easiest athlete to speak to? They'll say, hands down, the easiest and the nicest and the one that we'll talk to over and over again is a hockey player. It's yes, no, thank you, maybe, and you get details. They said basketball players got chased down. Football players don't want to talk at all. They're very uh, curmudgeonly and stuff like that, truculent with the media. But when it comes to hockey players, they, they'll sit there and talk because they know the importance of selling the game. So I would imagine Edmonton, a cop in Edmonton during the dynasty years, one of those dynasty players uh, maybe does something outside the bounds of the law. As long as nobody's getting hurt, I can totally see him looking the other way. And we have another caller. Caller, are you there? Hello, caller. Are you still there? If you're not there, try phoning back. 604-822-2487. Grant Fuhrer hung up on that one. He's oh. like, I was calling to set the record straight. Ba-boom. Winding up here with Kevin Smith. Kevin, a few more Canuck, New Jersey connections. A Vancouver Canuck, an ex-Canuck, Don Lever, scored the first goal ever for the New Jersey Devils. Plus, Canuck Kirk McLean played for the Devils. for like That's three- right. That's right. He was a Canuck before he was a Devil. And he was traded for Patrick Sundstrom. Patrick mm-hmm. Sundstrom. Do you remember Patrick Sundstrom at all? Of course. My, I was, uh, my mom worked for the team doctor from, let me see, I would say circa 1986 uh, till he stopped being the team doctor, which I think was after they won the first Stanley Cup. So uh, I would get a bunch of sticks brought home all the time. That was definitely one of them. Well, thanks so much for phoning into the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show here today, Kevin Smith. Again, you will be next weekend in Halifax. Maybe you could tell the people one more time. Next, Halif- next weekend in Halifax. Next weekend in Halifax, man, the Smorgy, it's from noon till midnight. Uh, tickets, they can go to csmod.com, S-E-E-S-M-O-D.com. Or if they just want to listen to the podcast, they're going to be nowhere near Halifax. Just go to smodcast.com. They can listen to anything they want. 
to end the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show, I want to play something by Winnipeg, Manitoba's No Label Collective. They were a record label, the No Label Collective out of Winnipeg, Manitoba. They've put out a compilation record called Songs in the Key of Hope, the story of Derek Wheeler an album of songs paying tribute to Hope and to the equally troubled character, Derek Wheels Wheeler. That is so wild, man. The song we're going to play is by The Eardrums, and the song is A Little Bit of Wheels in All of Us. And lastly, what can you say about the shocking Wheels scenario that's developed when people found uh, out he'd been done? Now, are you talking about how Neil passed a few months back? How nobody knew. Yeah, he passed, and then folks didn't know. It was kind of sad, uh, you know, because especially because when people are on TV and a show like Degrassi particularly, they those people become part of your family, and when the show ends, you know, you just assume that they've done well. Everyone assumes just because you've been on TV or in the movies that you're set for life, and, and we, we know that's not always the case. And Neil was somebody that seems to have fallen between the cracks, not because people weren't trying. You hear all manner of story from former Degrassi kids or even from Linda Scholar about uh, reaching out and whatnot. And some people, you know, just want to be left alone. And I guess he was in one of those places when uh, he eventually passed. So sad that it took a few days or, well, longer than that for people to find out. But at least somebody figured it out and wrote the article. That's how I found out the same way for that uh, the article that was written. So um, it's heartbreaking, man. Nobody wants to go out that way. And you want to imagine that. When you leave this world, everybody notices and that everybody's incredibly sad and that your absence uh, is a big impact. And sadly, Neil didn't get to feel that. But if there's some place where one looks on the living from the dead, hopefully you saw how much uh, affection and love came his way when news finally did get out. People were really heartbroken about that. I mean, it was more than just like a freak meme story of like, hey, you know that guy from Degrassi? He died in a boarding house or something. It became a story that like touched people where they're like, we knew we knew Wheels. Wheels was part of our world. And uh, Neil wasn't that far removed from Wheels. Uh, uh, Linda Schuyler would always kind of use the kids' backstories to inform their characters. So, he, you know, some stuff that, that was going on in Wheels' life uh, was really going on in Neil's life as well. So we're going to end the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show here with the eardrums doing a little bit of wheels in all of us from Winnipeg's No Label Collective, the compilation record they put out, songs in the key of hope, the story of Derek Wheeler. Anything else you want to add to the people out there at all, Kevin Smith? Just it's always a damn pleasure to talk to you, Nardwar. It's, uh, it's really, really cool, man. Now I'm really, uh, now i got to call my friend, though, and do a... Uh, a kind of look back at the fake Nardwar. How weird that somebody was literally pretending to be you in Toronto. I'd love to see the footage or any interview or documentation. That'd be amazing. That's a documentary in itself. <laughs> That's strange, man. I mean, I've heard of it. It's a, it's not a an untold phenomenon. There have been many people who pretend to be me because it's not a hard look to cultivate. You just eat a lot of Twinkies, don't shave. So there have been people on Twitter who are like, I just met Kevin Smith in Albuquerque. And then I got to tweet him back like, that never happened. I'm here in Los Angeles. So uh, it's strange. Uh, just think there's somebody out there who's pretending, maintaining that through you. Actually, I'm kind of honored in a way, but I'm glad to be able to speak to you, Kevin Smith, 17 years later, from drawing flies to wheels. It's let's been an amazing wait, journey. Let's not wait another 17 years, sir. Indeed. Well, thanks so much, Kevin. Keep on rocking in the free world, and do-do-do-do-do. Do-do, Nardwar.
All right, in the tribute, we're just trying to get here good old wheels tune happening and it is not happening on this particular track so in honor of wheels we will just play one more time the um hey wheels song by budokan while i fade into hey wheels by the eardrums so here right now is budokan with hey wheels and we'll get into the other hey wheels by the eardrums in one moment i was so turned up off the interview i did and there we go. That was Brother Ali. There we go, right there. Just 
Can't 